Okay, tonight you can open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. The book of Deuteronomy, as we continue to go verse by verse through Deuteronomy, we're in that part of the book where Moses is, well, the book is really, the whole book is Moses on the east side of the Jordan River, speaking to the nation of Israel, the next generation, about to go into the promised land and conquer the promised land that God has promised to them. God's going to expel people in front of them, but it's going to be their responsibility to remove them as well. And that's what he had for them in their generation They'd watched the previous generation die off in unbelief, but they're the new generation, and they get to enter in to those promises, but they have to accept the responsibility of what God expects of them. We saw on Saturday our topical message was, what, what does the Lord require of us? And that was our whole topical message on Saturday, and we looked at that last Tuesday, verse by verse, going through here. So, again, it's preparation for when you come into the land, and Moses picks it up in chapter 12, and this opening thought kind of carries the whole chapter, so I want to read it together, and I'm just going to read this text, and then we'll come back to it in application. So we pick it up with this. Moses, led by the Holy Spirit, says this. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire, and you shall cut down their carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord has blessed you. You shall not do it all as we are doing here today, every man doing what is ever right in his own eyes, for as yet you have not come into the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around about so that you dwell in safety, then there shall be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourselves that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord God chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you should do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he's given you. The unclean and unclean man, that is, may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock, of any of your offerings which you vow, of your free will offerings, or of the heave offerings of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourselves that you do not forsake the Levite as long as he lives in your land. And when the Lord God enlarges your borders as he has promised you, And you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat. You may eat as much meat as your heart desires. 
If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and clean person alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have in your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses, and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. We'll stop there for now. So notice the beginning, the first few verses, it says when you get into that land, you're going to destroy all the places of false worship. So there's no merging of God's worship with false worship. So it's not like you're reclaiming the Buddhist temple or the Muslim mosque or something and merging those belief systems with Jesus to kind of give you an idea, like sort of a concept of what we're talking about here. God's like, I don't need the leftover buildings. I don't need their booths on the hill or in the valley and under the green tree. That's not how it works with the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we saw last week, the God of gods. There is no other other God except the Lord our God. So he's saying, when you get in the land, I'm giving you, not in this text, but we read it in the last few weeks, I'm giving you the vineyards, the wells, and all these things that you didn't plant, but I'm giving those to you. And when you worship the Lord, the Lord's going to pick a place for him to be worshipped, and you're going to worship him in the way he says to worship him, in the place that he says to worship him as a central place of worship. But you must destroy these other things lest you think somehow God needs those like to to be incorporated in his worship. And of course, this is the problem for Israel when you read Kings and Chronicles is that kings like Solomon and these other kings, they built places of false worship for the other gods, for the, you know, the Asterisk, Molech, and and these different Baal and these different shrines and idols. So they, they had the temple of worship, but at the same time, they have the the boosts of false worship and sexual morality up on the hills with the false gods at the same time. And if you know the book of Kings and Chronicles, the history of the Kings and Chronicles, about 300 years of Israel's history with about 40 kings, only Josiah is on record for ripping those things down. Now, they went up during Solomon's time. He died in 931 B.C. So we know that he built those, and Josiah is sort of right before the Babylonian captivity So about 400 years, these things existed, and the people did merge their worship with these things. And that's the very reason the northern tribes were taken away into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. God said so. But it is kind of cool and pretty special that Josiah, between the age of 26 and 39, before he stepped into eternity, in combat, in God's land, defending God's land from an invader, that he removed those things. That's, that's pretty special if you think about it, that he removed, they did not do this. And for centuries, they did not do this. Almost for 800 years, they did not do this. But it's nice to know those, 400, those 40 plus kings, that, that Josiah, whose dad was one of the most evil of all kings, Manasseh, that he did what was right. He fulfilled this, which is a reminder that we can always do what's right. And just because it's been made wrong before we got to it doesn't mean we can't do the right things when we get to it. It's always the right day, the right time, the right place, the right moment.
to do the right thing. In fact, he says, if you do what's good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, and it'll be well with you and your children. That's the last verse we read there. So they have to destroy these things. There's no merging these things with the worship of God. But what it's really about, once you destroy, like what the Bible says in the New Testament, put off and put on, once you get the flesh out of the way and you can get to the spirit, then you really get to the good stuff. Because once these things are destroyed, God says, hey, the place, the place, the place. You see that phrase, of course, I emphasize it. There you will do this. In that place, there you'll do this. So by faith, they're to anticipate the place where there'd be a central place of worship for the nation to come before the Lord. Now, the Levites were spread throughout the tribes. But that central place of worship was going to be one place. You can't just build an altar here and say, well, this is how the Ammonites did it and the Jebusites did it like this. We can do it like that. No, that's, that's why they're not here, because they did it like that. You're here, and you're going to do it the way God says to do it. There's a right way to do it. Think of the woman at the well. Our fathers worship on Mount Gerizim, and you Jews worship there, which is right. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, day's coming when you'll neither worship here nor there, but you'll worship God in spirit and in truth, right? Men want location. It really is about the Holy Spirit, faith, the word of God. But still, you know, we learned this during the COVID crisis that the house of God is the house of God. The place of worship is the place of worship. This is where we do worship the Lord. This is where we sing songs about heaven. This is where we get our perspective back when we've lost our way. This is where we repent between us and the Lord. This is where we pray with one another and bear one another's burdens. This is where we study God's word verse by verse. We don't add to it or take from it, which we'll see in just a moment in the text right around the corner. And it is important. Church gathering is important. And church gathering does supersede all other gatherings in the human experience. So as we ever try and figure out our balance with future plagues and government decrees that could come our way, just know there is a central place of worship. And there is something to be said for the church gathering. And that's why the believers still gather in burnt out buildings in Syria that used to be their churches. That's why people, believers gather in these different places. And that's why we gather in the catacombs in first century Rome, because we do come together and we worship and we have a central place where we meet with the Lord collectively as a family of God. And that's what we do here. And we're coming up on 18 years for us being a part of the legacy of this building that's been here almost 55 years. And we have this legacy now coming up in June, 18 years. And we're told that when they go to that place, when they come to the place of central worship that God has prescribed, like coming into the house of the Lord, he says, you shall rejoice at what you put your hand to. See, when we come in here to the house of the Lord, we're rejoicing because we're inspired by God's word, we're instructed by God's word, we're built up in God's word, and we leave here built up as disciples, ambassadors, the the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and so we leave here, and it's our whole being when we come here. We're coming here with it like Danny prayed to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, That's who we are. So this should be a joyful place. Now, we cast our cares before the Lord. We weep before the Lord. Think of Hannah there in the tabernacle weeping before the Lord when she didn't have children and all that she, you know, that's how First Samuel starts, the story of Samuel the prophet, her mother weeping. And the, uh, Eli thought she, the priest, the high priest thought she was drunk, but she was in travail of soul. So sometimes we have that experience here. But really, when we come to the house of the Lord, we come here because Christ is our sacrifice through faith in Jesus and who he is. But we gather as two or more, and it's a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. And it's a place where us and our family, families, we come and we say, yeah, the Lord's been good, and we come here joyfully. Church should be in a place of joy as a whole. 
Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So we can cast our burdens upon the Lord Jesus Christ when we come to church. And we can sing with joy. And there's times we cry when we're singing. Because we have a heavy heart. If you ever go in that sanctuary, Calvary Vista, I, I poured out my soul in anguish for well over a year in there. In that far left corner, pulpit, far left corner, the equivalent of where Chris is sitting in that sound booth. And it was me and the Lord just broken for a year after we lost our son. But it's still a place of joy. Hannah's baby dedication, where Jennifer and I got married, where I served the Lord. I vacuumed that sanctuary for years. It was hot and hard in the summer to do that sanctuary. It was a workout. But it's a place of worship. And even going back there to teach the men down there at the beginning of this year, to be in that place going like, wow, 33 years later. It's a place of joy. And it's really important that when we look at our life, we look at our life, we look at our calling through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And he said, these things I've spoken to you that you would have life and in me you have life, but that there's joy in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Jesus gives us joy. He's the man of sorrows and we can experience sorrows, but we're to give him our sorrows so he can give us the joy. He gives us beauty for ashes, right? He restores the years that the locusts have eaten. That's who he is. All those prophecies of the Old Testament, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross and rising from the grave. So this place is a place of joy. Now, we all express joy in different ways, in different congregations, in different movements and denominations express their joy in different ways. But the joy is in the heart that we rejoice. Church is not an obligation. It's not a burdensome thing. Worshiping the Lord is not an obligation or a burdensome thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing. We should be excited when we're going to come to church on Tuesday night. Well, you're here on Tuesday night, and so that's pretty exciting. You want to be here. You made time to come here. So awesome. And you come on Saturday night. It's awesome. We're here. And didn't we feel like we wanted to sing more when they said we couldn't sing in church? We didn't want to miss a song. You know, like we, you no, know, we sing. It's a place of joy. And again, it says in verse 12, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters. It's the whole family, your male and female servants, your employees. If you bring your employees to church, that they're, you re, they, they see that you love the Lord. That you're rejoicing in your worldview, in your life, and you're blessed by God. And we just don't do it the way we want to do it. We don't say, well, we're going to do church at home now and all the time and never go back to church because that's just, it's more convenient to do church in your pajamas. See, a lot of people have come to like church in your pajamas. And if that works for you, that's okay. But if I die on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, I want to be church in my pajamas. I want to be in the house of the Lord. Unless, of course, you have to be home in your pajamas, and that's okay. But don't you just love your pajamas? There's a worldview with pajamas on, by the way. We all know that. <laughs> and then he says again in verse 18, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. So literally when you come to church, you're rejoicing over what you've been able to do. Your life, your job, your vocation, your neighbors, your witness, your everything. You're weak. You're coming to you rejoicing. God, you are with me. I was led of you. I give you these burdens. I'm not sure how we're going to figure this out, how we're going to resolve that. And this is open-ended, but I give you these things. And this is a place of rejoicing. We're meant to be gathered in the church and to be rejoicing in this. Church should never be dour. You know, when Jennifer, when I, she wasn't saved, and I was newly saved, and I was going to Calvary Vista, the old building. And when I invited her to this event, we're showing a couple surf movies, and Brian Broderson's like, okay, you just get up and tell them that you used to surf for you, you surf for God, and I'll take it from there. And so I got up and shared, and I was so nervous. I didn't even know what spiritual warfare was like at that time. And, but I invited my whole classroom from junior college, and Jennifer actually came. But the amazing thing about that night is she got lost, and she went to a Jehovah's Witness church, thinking it was our church. She went to the Watchtower. 
And she walked in, and they were not friendly, and they were not welcoming. And what she thought is, that surfer could not possibly go to this church because it didn't have joy. Now, I'm not saying there's not some happy Jehovah's Witnesses out there. I haven't met them. I've met some happy Mormons, but I've never met a happy Jehovah's Witness, honestly. And if they're happy, I'm not sure why they're happy, because they got the wrong Bible, the wrong Jesus, and the wrong gospel. My wife, unsaved and unregenerated, knew that guy that's joyful in my classroom does not fit in this building with these people. I got the wrong church. She got in the car, took a wrong turn, and ended up right there at the Hacienda Church. She never the right spot. You talk about being led by the Lord. That happened on December 7th, 1987. Easy day to remember. So anyways, people need to see joy when they come in here. When we have visitors and guests, I can't always be joyful because I might have a night where all this stuff's going on in my head and all around me that you don't even know what's going on. So I might be a little more intense, but you can be like, hey, why is the pastor so wide up tight? You don't even know what's going on in his head right now, but it's okay. We're good. Welcome. Bienvenido, bienvenida. You know, it's like, <laughs> welcome. It's a joyful place. We want this place to be a joyful place for everyone that ever comes here, and you come in here with joy. The, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, it goes on to say, and I just got to draw your attention to two verses, too. I'm not going to comment. I'm just going to tell them. Verse 1, how's that phrase, all the days you live on the earth? Man, that could be a topical message. All the days you live on the earth. The days were fashioned for us when he's yet there's none, but they're numbered in God's book. All the days you live on the earth. How many days is that? For me, for you. That's for another time. And then also he said, when you do what's right in the sight of the Lord, that's verse 25. And then again, verse 28 says the same thing, but we get it again in just a moment. So we do what's right in the sight of the Lord. You just, certain things have to be destroyed because they don't go with Jesus, for sure. And we got to do things the way God says to do it, and that's the blessing. When we gather in this church, it's the joy of the Lord. Now, verse 29, we read out this. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods. Like, how do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that, that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they've done in their, with their gods, to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fires to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. See, they worship Molech. They had the infant sacrifices. And, of course, Israel did the exact same thing, which was terrible. They even had infant cannibalism during the siege under Nebuchadnezzar. The depravity of how we go and desperation to, to, to feed our flesh has no it really has no limits. I don't even want to know the limits. You know, the tree of life is a really good place to be, the cross. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it can get so dark and so evil and so sinister. It's, it's so sad to think how dark it can really be in the darkness of humanity with the demonic uh, influence over the human experience. So there are things that God hates, and, and he hates those kind of things for sure. The death of the innocent and all, just so dark and demonic. But look at verse 32. He says, and you shall not add to it nor take away from it. God's word. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We teach the whole counsel and all of his word. We never want to add to his word, and we never want to take from it. That's why I say all the time, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God's word determine it. And I've said this before, too. We don't need to defend his word. His word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. We just need to know it, believe it and live it, and be able to share it, 
as we're, as we're, be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's in us, in meekness with reverence toward those people. Now we go on to chapter 13 and we read this. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dream, dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of the dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the, from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife or your bosom or your friend who is in your own soul secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you, or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity them, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage so all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in saying corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known then you should inquire search out and ask diligently and if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, its livestock, with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all of its plunder to the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all of its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers because you've listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all of his commandments which I command you today and to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Well, they're in a covenant with God. They're his own special treasure and they're not to do these things and they're going to be tested. There is a commonality here with the New Testament, not executing people, obviously, although unfortunately people have taken to that in the name of Christendom in the last 2,000 years. But the commonality is to be tested, to test all things and to hold fast what's true. We see in the New Testament time and time again lying signs and wonders. We see it in the book of Acts. We see the warnings about it in the different pastoral epistles. And to the Corinthians, Paul said, hey, if, if these false prophets, they come and they do lying signs and wonders to lead you astray. So we know that the devil does supernatural supernatural demonic deception to lead people astray in general, humanity. We know that he comes into churches and does supernatural things that he attaches bad doctrine to concerning the person, the work, and the promises of Jesus Christ. So that's certainly demonic. And we're told in the New Testament that the devil does healings. He does lying signs and wonders. And we're also told at the end of the age that this great deception just increases and increases what's called the spirit of Antichrist, and that the Antichrist himself will do incredible signs and wonders. He'll have all the power of the devil himself to do lying signs and wonders to deceive, if even possible, the elect. And we know that God's going to allow a delusion to come upon the entire human race who's gone after this Antichrist, who has solved the world's problems, made them worship him, 
and they they control all their they they have their blip that allows them to eat the mark of the beast allows them to do commerce and live their life and they all bow the knee all they have to do is sell their soul out to the system that the antichrist because it's against christ and we're all just being conditioned for this of course right now when you see people just blindly going off a cliff with pseudoscience and all these crazy things that make no sense at all how the world's acting right now. But that's just conditioning. Because in the end, there's going to be lying signs and wonders. And God says in 2 Thessalonians that he'll allow this delusion because they refuse to believe the truth. And he gives them over. And the devil is going to use lying signs and wonders. In fact, incredible lying signs and wonders. Antichrist, listen, has all the power of the devil in a human political leader. That's pretty scary, if you think about that one. It's, you think of all the different leaders and influential people in human history, especially destructive leaders like, say, Stalin and Hitler. They're just human beings that are, have great power and were evil to the core. And certainly a lot of the Nazis were very much involved in demonic worship. But one man with all that power is just the power of hell. That's pretty crazy. So we have all the power of Jesus to help us and lead us in the way so we don't go that way. So God tests us. And that's how we're told in the New Testament, test all things and hold fast that which is good. We're told to test all things and hold fast that which is good. So just because someone says something and there's like a, a false miracle or there's like signs and wonders, like we need to test things. Does it, is it, is it resulting Jesus Christ as the son of God, his person, who he is? Does this person proclaim that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, creator of the universe, and Savior of the world? Is it exalting his blood, the blood of God, as the sinless blood, born of a virgin, to redeem humanity? Is it exalting his physical resurrection, that he's risen from the grave, and he broke bread with the disciples, his ascension to heaven to the right hand of the Father? Is it exalting his return, to come and rule and reign. Is it exalting his holiness because God is light and him is no darkness at all? See, in my 33 years of ministry experience, I've seen really weird stuff that's religious, weird and kooky and demonic. And so we have to test things. We can't just say, that's why we need the, that's why I said the previous chapter, don't add to the word, don't take from the word because there has to be a standard by which we test things. So the more we know the Bible, we have the standard by which we test things. This matches up, this doesn't. Well, that doesn't match up at all. So when we see things that are just kind of weird, the first thing, you, you know, I say this all the time, but God's not weird. People are weird. God, God's not weird. Like, he's got a sense of humor, like Peter go catch the fish in, with the coin in its mouth. <laughs> just kind of, Jesus like looking up, you're like, it's all good. But he's not weird. God's not weird. People are weird. When people act kooky and weird, and then non-believers associate that with Jesus, that's a bad look. And the devil will do lying signs and wonders to get people to follow the wrong teachers. And they're desperate. I mentioned this. I didn't learn this until two years ago, that when my uncle, who died before I was born, my mom's older brother died of cancer when he, before he was 30, Catholic background. My, my grandfather, who I did know, Bud, was so desperate to save the life of his son that he went to Italy and went to the Rome uh, to get the holy water to heal his son. And he brought the holy water back from Europe to heal his son, and it didn't work. And he would have been willing to believe anything for that to happen. Brian Jameson, when his daughter Trinity was dying of cancer at the age of 9 and then 10, 
He said, Joey, you have no idea how much hope sells for people who are hopeless. Rasputnik, the famous mystic who influenced Nicholas, the last czar of Russia, and Alexandra, his wife, who is single-handedly credited for bringing down the czars and the Romanov Empire and the czarist monarchy after 300 years more than anyone else, he influenced the, the czarist family. He was a mystic, and the uh, Russian Orthodox Church had ordained him, and he knew hypnotism, and the Alexander's son, son, excuse me, Nicholas's son, the, the, the czarist, he's, he's the future czar. He had the four daughters, right? Uh, Anastasia, Olga, and Maria and all. Beautiful daughters. But he had the son, but the son was a, a hematomiac. Uh, Queen Victoria had the gene for hematomia with all of her descendants, and it really began to hit, and the, the great-grandchildren, they're all related Queen Victoria of England. And it's horrible. Evidently, it's a really horrible, horrible thing. It you don't clot, your blood doesn't clot. So turns out Rasputnik shows up as his faith healer and the czarist did better whenever he was around. He was in excruciating pain. Now, when I had my bad back, it was excruciating pain two years ago. If you ever had excruciating pain, if you can find relief from excruciating pain and someone says they represent the Lord, you're going you're gonna to go for that. And so Rasputnik came in and he was a, just a peasant from Siberia. He became the most important person in Russia. You can Google this all over YouTube too. It's one of the most famous stories of the fall of the, Roman, the, of the Romanov Empire, the czars. But he had lying signs and wonders. And Alexander, who was a religious person, the queen, just, she had such a broken heart for her son who was always in pain that she let this man come in and he was sleeping with women, raping women, do all these things. But her son always got better when he was in the room. So the, the most powerful person in the world became the queen who influenced her husband who didn't want conflict and Russia just fell apart and Vladimir Putin, not Vladimir Putin, but Lenin came to power and uh, Stalin and all of them, Trotsky, it was all happening at the same time. This is 1910. It was like 1908 to 1915. Then the Russian revolution, they lost World War I. Then the revolution is horrible. This guy was the single greatest impact on the fall of Russia, the largest country in the world. The mystic with the healing powers because the heir to the throne always did better and had pain relief when he walked in the room. And all these prime ministers and these other people that ran the Duma tried to get rid of him. And they couldn't get rid of him. Finally, he was just shot. He was murdered. One of the relatives says, enough of this madness. But by the time they woke up, it was over. The Russian Revolution had begun and the Bolsheviks had come to power. They were under a stupor. And I'm reading right now about he'd walk in the room and he'd just put the spell on people. And then he'd say all this religious jargon. And then all these lying signs and wonders would happen. And it was the end of the czars and the rise of the Soviet Union, which would lead to 50 million people, innocent people, dying in Russia and Ukraine under the hands of Stalin. We are to test all things and hold fast that which is good. But see, unfortunately for Alexandra, she felt like God was punishing her for her son's affliction. And so she believed she didn't have the power to heal her son, but Rasputnik did. And there's definitely lying signs and wonders with him. Listen, it's better to be in excruciating pain with Jesus than to be out of pain with the wrong Jesus. Amen? Yeah. It's powerful stuff. When you read history, you see there's nothing new under the sun, and you grow and you learn, like, wow, that's crazy how the devil does things to destroy people and societies and death and all these evil things. We have to test all things. And if you're somewhere in a church and it seems weird, I'm going to tell you, nine, nine, well, I always say, if it seems weird, it is weird. I always say to all the pastors, look, let me tell you, if something's going on in the church that seems weird, it is weird. 
And God's not weird, so figure it out how to deal with it. We got to deal with it. Because weird stuff comes in here all the time. You don't even know most of the time. Sometimes you do, but most of the time you don't. So test all things, hold fast that which is good. Because there's people that will entice us to go the wrong way. You know, in ministry, uh, a book that I read early on in coming on South of Calvary Christian Mesa, Greg Morris, who's my, my lawyer, and he does religious law and estate law, trust in estates, a Nazarene background. He gave me a book called The Seven Deadly Lawsuits of a Minister. Easy to read, too. I mean, you can't get lost on seven things, right? Joel Osteen's book is seven things. Seven is a magic number, right? How lost can you get? So seven deadly lawsuits of a minister. But one of them is when a married couple comes to a minister and, he, he, and they trust him and then he, he steals the woman from the guy. That happens a lot, believe it or not. Uh, it does. What's interesting about that, though, is there's lawsuits against that because those people trusted you and the law, Caesar recognizes that you're in a place representing God to people and they trust you on a higher level as divinity, not that you are God, but you represent divinity. Therefore, there's a higher standard of accountability. So if someone came to a pastor for counsel and the pastor steals the wife and then marries her, she can like years later say, you know what, I trusted you with my husband and you're really a creep and I'm going to sue you for everything. She's going to win every time. She's going to win every time in court. Because that's one of the seven deadly lawsuits of a minister. Because she'll just prove, like, I was vulnerable. I was going through marital problems. And we trusted him. Like Rasputin, he was just looking at me with those eyes. And we just all came under a spell. There are so many people, as we know, that are incredibly abusive in ministry, in Jesus' name, who fleece the flock and take advantage of people. Please do not be one of them. In your future journeys, we've had some people come and go. I've taught the Bible for 33 years all over the country and even around the world. People come and go, just make sure that you know your word, you test all things and hold fast what was good, and do not be enticed away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul said, even an angel comes to you at night and says you have a different gospel, let that be accursed to you. There's one true gospel, and there's one Jesus. It's not Jesus plus this minister, Jesus plus this doctrine, Jesus plus these things, this formula, Jesus plus these signs and wonders. It's Jesus. It's our relationship with our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just ask yourself, would Jesus be that weird? Now, my ex-husband was that weird. <laughs> or my, you know, my ex-wife, whatever. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, my wife is that weird. My husband's that weird. But like, no, Jesus would not be that weird. Jesus is not weird. God is light and him is no darkness at all. He never thinks a skewed thought, a skewed act, and he lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't take from the sheep. He doesn't fleece the flock. He dies for the flock. So when someone, that's the way you can gauge it. Now, in their context, they had, to just, they had to execute people. They had the responsibility of capital punishment against false doctrine that would lead the nation astray because how far-reaching it would be. Almost like a plague. If you don't isolate it, you quarantine the people at the plague, not the healthy people. But if you don't isolate it, it spreads. It's like a cancer cell, right? If you don't get it early, it can go, and it gets in the lymph nodes, and all that stuff happens. It's the same principle. And this is them and their covenant. The church has no place for this. It's not our place to determine who lives or dies based upon their doctrine. We like the marketplace of thought. I like to present my Jesus with the false Jesus. And you can determine which one the Holy Spirit confirms to your soul because the word of God is living and powerful and it pierces both bone and marrow, soul and spirit. So we're preaching our Jesus. He's going to pierce the, the bone and marrow. Who knows the difference between bone and marrow? Soul and spirit. Who even knows such things? 
But when we're teaching the Word of God and sharing the Word of God, He confirms it by His Spirit. These false doctrines with lion signs and wonders, the lion signs and wonders can give you chicken skin, but it doesn't pierce bone and marrow, soul and spirit. So, just got to do what's right. In fact, He said that last verse is He's going to He He wants He's going to the Lord's going to show them mercy, and He wants to show us mercy because. Because we've listened to the voice of the Lord to keep all his commandments, commandments which was commanded, and we did what's right in the eyes of the Lord your God. So see, it's just doing what's right. If you test all things and hold fast which is good, we're going to do what's right. Now we're going to read chapter 14 as well. You are the children of the Lord your God. Chapter 14, verse 1. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. Yeah, we're not like the Canaanites or the Amorites. Verse 3, you shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts that choose the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat, such as these, the camel, the hare, the rox, hyrax, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have the fins and scales, and whatever doesn't have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It's unclean to you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. You're not going to eat the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after their kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, the hawk after their kind, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, and the heron after its kind, and the hoopy and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you, shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the aliens, or the strangers who's within your gates, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain, and that field produce year by year. And you shall... Eat before the Lord your God in the place where he's chosen to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or uh, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money and take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, sheep, wine, or similar drink, whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. So here in chapter 14, we're reminded that dietary law that we studied in detail in Leviticus. It's just so simple. Clean, unclean. You should not, you may not, you can. I like it. You know, it's kind of like if you're a parent going, hey, with your kids, like, oh, you can play with those, but you're not going to drink the cleanser underneath the sink, right? It's like, Yes, no, yes, no, whatever. And God has his reasons. We've covered the dietary law in the past, but basically there in the book of Acts when God gives, Jesus actually directly gives Peter the vision of the unclean animals and says, eat these things, these unclean animals. Peter's like, I'd never do that. I'm you know, Jewish. And Jesus says, what God has cleansed no longer call uh, unclean. 
And Peter's like, well, that is the strangest vision I've ever had. But then he comes down, and then the Gentiles, the non-Jews are at his front door, sent from Cornelius' house, as Acts 10, and he's like, well, this is strange. Like, yeah, we had a, our, our boss, the Roman boss, uh, he, he said uh, he had a vision, an angel told him to come get you. And so then when Paul, got, excuse me, when Peter got to the house of Cornelius, and he went in the house, he goes, you know, I'm not allowed as a Jewish person to come in your house, but God showed me what God has cleansed no longer call common. See, God used the vision for Peter three times unclean animals and said, eat. And Peter's like, that is the strangest thing ever. It goes against 1,500 years of my covenant. And Jesus is like, well, I'm the new covenant. And that, what you associate as unclean animals is really like the unclean living of the people that were cast out 1,500 years ago. So now I'm taking not just to the Jews, but to the unclean people, and you're going to preach the gospel to them because the gospel is for everyone. So then when Peter was preaching the house of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on him during the middle of his sermon, interrupted a great sermon, took it over. They all got saved. And then he baptized them. So he shows up back in Jerusalem. All the apostles are like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing hanging out in the Gentiles' house? What are you doing baptizing Gentiles? You've got some explaining to do. He's like, well, he, and so a whole chapter of Book of Acts is him just repeating what happened. I'm on the roof, fasting, the vision. I go, hmm, this happens, that happens. And who was I to resist it? And by chapter 15, they have to realize collectively in the Jerusalem Council that the gospel is for everyone. Pigs, rocks, hyraxes, shellfish, prawns, lobster. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you get the context, seagulls, even seagulls. Because the people are like seagulls, right? Because seagulls are scavengers. Some people are scavengers. Some people are toxic and poisonous, like shellfish, you know? Like, you can put human beings with all the unclean animals and go like, yeah, that person reminds me of a, yeah, you know, because people say, oh, you know, they're a snake or whatever, right? Like, sminya in Russian. It's like, you know, he's like, he's a snake, right? That's a snake. So you have these unclean things, and it's been pointed out well that these three, if you take the unclean animals they're predators that would uh, rip, the, rip apart the flesh and the blood. They're scavengers that eat dead things. And then they're technically poisonous or dangerous uh, food like shellfish. So God was protecting them physically. But the bigger picture is they represented, in the scheme of God's plans and how he works things out, they represented the world that would get saved through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. These unclean animals represent this. And us. Because unless you're Jewish and you've got Abraham's DNA in you, you and I are Gentiles. And we are the unclean animals in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that Jesus died on the cross for. We're the unclean animals in the vision of the, given to Peter by Jesus himself saying, you'll go to all nations preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. You're only preaching to Jews and half-Jews, Samaritans. I told you to preach the gospel to every creature. I told you the, the gospel is for all nations and go with all authority. You see, what we do in our outreach is the fulfillment of these things and who we are as a church. The church is every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? Who are all those unclean animals? We're saved by grace. But for them, they were forbidden because them eating these unclean animals is like them keeping the altars of Moloch up and Ashtoreth. It's like the, the booth for sexual immorality in, in false idol worship. That's like a shellfish. That's a clam. That's a, that's a snake. That's an insect. That's very unclean. So you see, like, that's, that's how God used the imagery for them. But once Christ rose from the grave and that stone's rolled away, 
The gospel's for everybody. And we know Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. And we understand that. And he made that very clear. And then we're told in the New Testament that all things can be eaten as they're eaten with thanksgiving. Now, last but not least, in this latter part of this chapter 14, he says in verse 22, you truly tithe of all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Then he said, yet again, when you're giving your tithe, you're going to rejoice, you and your household. That's verse 26. Then in the third year, they had this thing where they just, the emphasis is on that this tithe for, goes for the Levite. That's the ministry. It goes for the stranger, the fathers, and the widow. And we've been talking about this. So I just, I'll just say this again because it's come up so much. And we're such a generous church. So we know that, obviously, we're an incredibly generous church. And we so bountifully, you so bountifully. So I can't say enough about how giving this church is. I want to be giving. I want to be more giving. I want us to look at people and see how can we bless them? How can we serve them? I want to tip more. I want to share more. I just want to be so open. Like when the Lord says, hey, why don't you see if you can get, I want you to send money to these people in Uganda. Figure out a way. That's pretty complicated. Well, then you figure out a way. If you're the one receiving it, you'd find a way to get it to you. So figure out a way to get it to them. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the motivation is coming to me. I'll find a way to figure out to get that money sent to me. And I was like, well, you do it for you, so why don't you do it for them as if it was you? Love your neighbor as yourself. The other day I was returning recyclables, which I rarely ever do, but I ran returning recyclables. You know, it's a messy business you have to return recyclables. I just do like save the world, right? You know, whatever. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, it's pretty decent. Model. I was like, now go give those guys a huge tip that are doing this. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's a pretty unpleasant job, these guys. So they just walked up and gave them a big tip. They're like, thank you. Thanks. I'm like, you're important. You're doing a good work. And you had a cheerful spirit. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. Just drove off. See, that's what we want to be. I'm not, I'm not trying to like say, like, oh, I'm the greatest. I'm just saying, like, that's what we want to be. Like, the one who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. Just look at every opportunity as a chance to sow and reap. You want to help the Levites? Help the Levites. You want to help the stranger? Help the stranger. That's, that's, a, that's the word of the Lord for me this year, the stranger. Right? Because we just taught that. Who's the stranger? It's the guy on the freeway driving you nuts. It's the neighbor down the street that doesn't mow his lawn. The stranger, the, the, the stranger lets his dog go to the bathroom in your yard every time he comes around the block. That's the stranger. Lord, who is my neighbor? That's the stranger. And we're called to love them. And we're called to love the widow and the orphan. So I really believe like what God's teaching me personally and teaching us as a church is to expand our vision. He did say, we saw that uh, when the Lord enlarges your borders, as he promised you, I didn't even touch on it, verse 20 of chapter 12. So enlarging our borders is having a bigger vision for the stranger, the alien, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. That's what we're doing right now because we're the church. This is who we are. And the Levites, you know, we've helped, we've helped people in ministry. I mentioned this. We sent some pretty strong gifts to pastors in Los Angeles County. have been through so much last year. We said, we're with you. This is for you and your family, man. Thanks for, thanks for still being there and coming through all this craziness. And thank you that you're still there teaching the whole counsel of God. So we've helped the Levites. And we've helped the foreigners and the strangers. A lot of our ministries help refugees. And I mentioned Saturday, we have just begun to invest in Jeremy Camp's ministry, Speaking Louder, and they've got a whole new ministry in Lebanon helping Syrian refugees. Don't you want to help Syrian refugees? You ever seen the pictures of the Syrian refugees in the tent cities they live in in the Middle East? Do you want to go to the Middle East this year? I don't. There's nothing in my flesh that says go to the Middle East. I don't even think I could go if I wanted to go. But our resources can go there, and Jeremy Camp already has the way, so why reinvent the wheel? 
Those are refugees. Those are foreigners. Those are displaced Syrians from 10 years of war living in Lebanon. And we're investing in that. The pastor's wives we're investing in. The orphans all over that we're investing in. That's who we are. And look what we get when we do this. Now, we're doing this as a church. I want to do this more. You know, it's funny because we've given away a lot this year. And, uh, you know, that's awesome. I thought, but, you know, it's easier to give away the Lord's money than our money, our personal money. And I'm thinking, okay, like, I want to be open to, you know, I mentioned this on Saturday, but not here, but we did this investment in a ministry in Uganda that just the Lord totally led us to do it. And uh, so the kids, so they all got a picture with this big sign, thank you, Joey Brand. I'm just some random person on Instagram, right? Because we don't have the WG Instagram up anymore. So this, who is this guy, like? This guy's a trip. He serves, he dances, and sometimes he totally preaches the gospel. It's like, what is going on with this guy? So all these kids, you know, holding up a sign, thank you, Joey Baran, and the guy said, thank you, worship generation, and they're all eating a full meal, and they're all smiling, and he's the pastor of a local church. He takes care of 30 orphans in a small town in Uganda on Lake Victoria that you wouldn't even know about, and he can't just go open up a coffee shop like we can if we got a good business model. He just can't. I jokingly said, I got my blessing time. I got it, right? I got my plaza, plaza, plaza. But uh, you guys didn't because they, they gave me credit when it's really your credit because that's the Lord's money, which is your money. Uh, but that's who we are. Then they got the new mattresses. They have mattresses. They got their mattresses. These kids were sleeping without mattresses. Like, and so when we do this, what happens? We're told this. Look at the last verse. When we take care of the widows, the Levites, the orphans, and the strangers, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, which you do. The one that sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. And he's a blessing God, and we're a blessing church, and he's blessing us, and he's blessing you, and we're all blessed together, because our God's a blessing God. And all God's people said, Amen.